music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and this week we're happy to take a leap into our vintage vault and welcome to the show award-winning choreographer and creative director Tina Landon talking about the 30th anniversary of Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation album. We also speak to Canadian recording artist Delaney Jane about her debut album, Dirty Pretty Things, and we spend time with Mark LaBelle, lead singer of rock band Dirty Honey, who have caught the attention of Guns N' Roses, The Who, and Slash. Listen anytime, anyplace, just a click away. KellyAlexanderShow.com as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation album, we are very happy to welcome back award-winning choreographer Tina Landon, who played an important role during the Rhythm Nation project and world tour. Tina, thanks for making time for us on The Kelly Alexander Show. Absolutely. What's going on? Well, super excited because it's the, of course, 30th anniversary of uh, Rhythm Nation. And in preparing for this interview, I actually went back and listened to our chats from the 25th anniversary of Rhythm Nation. And at that time, I listened to the whole thing. And at that time, I had asked you uh, what it would feel like to go back and dance Rhythm Nation again, because so many years had passed back in 2014 since you had done Rhythm Nation. So if we now fast forward to October of 2017, when Janet (laughs) and you and the other Janet dancers all came back and performed Rhythm Nation at the Hollywood Bowl, did you ever think in your wildest dreams that that experience would, would happen? Oh gosh, no! I never did. I think it's—I think you put it out there and you made it happen. So I'm—I'm I'm putting this all on you. <laughs> um, no, I never—I just never did, you know. And and that's why when the opportunity arose, I was like—I mean, I think it probably was the same for all of us. I don't think anyone even questioned it. Everyone was like, "Yeah." I mean, I think I—the only thing I questioned was like if my body could still do it. So I was like. A was like, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to. And then it's like, oh, but can I? Hmm. <laughs> will my body betray me or will I be able to do this? And, of course, that fear went away two seconds later and I was on a plane. So it was pretty awesome. Awesome. And uh, we talked about it briefly a couple of years ago about the experience, but I did just kind of want to go over a few things because I, I don't think I asked you specific things about that performance. Can you tell us what it felt like to be on stage with Janet again? Because at that point it had been eight years since you had last stepped onto a dance floor together. So did it feel like old times sort of being just off to her left or off to her right? Oh yeah. It was, and that's probably the strangest part of it all was that it didn't feel strange. You know, it didn't feel um, anything other than this is what was supposed to be happening that night. Like it literally felt like I was still on tour. I was still sore. I was still tired. (laughs) And just kind of being right off of her shoulder. And it was was very, very surreal. And like, you know, I'm looking over her shoulder out into the audience and actually seeing some fans that were with us since Rhythm Nation that are still out there with the same energy, jumping up and down, giving us all that love. And then all the, you know, all the the technical stuff that goes through my mind because that's just what happens when I'm on stage with the lighting and the staging and the, you know, don't mess this up, Tina. Like all of that was going on in my brain while at the same time I was like a five-year-old who 
just got the biggest piece of cake and I couldn't sit still in my skin. Like I was just jumping up and down inside. It's awesome because I rewatched the performance this morning just to sort of get my, my head back in the game. And, you know, watching it, you could tell that Janet was so happy and emotional to have all of you back on stage with her to celebrate. And I'm assuming that it had to be super special for you, not only to dance with her again, but as you looked around the stage, you know, you were responsible for a lot of those dancers that were up there who you had brought in through auditions for the Janet tour and the Velvet Rope tour. Um, what was going through your, your mind on stage, like just sort of seeing that part of it, like where it's like, these are people that you help bring to her? Again, I'm probably going to overuse this phrase or this word surreal, but that's really the only way you can explain it because it's, it's like watching your family grow. You know, my sister has six children and I've seen all of them, you know, in her stomach first. And then now they're all like in college and, and living lives and have, now they're having their own kids and our family just keeps growing and growing and growing. And until I think we were on that stage all together going, oh my gosh, like we are all connected through her. And she's like, you know, if you look at a big tree and the family roots and the roots that just come down and they spread out and they have little tags here and there and they just keep going and going and going. And that's kind of what it felt like watching all of us. And, you know, the dance community is so small. We all know each other uh, through Janet or outside of Janet through other projects. So it was, it was awesome to see us all come together. And then as, we're watching each other, like, again, seeing those little pieces of roots going off in different directions and seeing, you know, who's working for who now and who's choreographed and doing their own things and their own project projects and who's directing now. And it's, you know, it's not like we all came back together and we're um, still dancers, like, well, because some of us are kind of old, but we've all kind of branched out and, and in different ways and different directions. And yet we all have this common um, connection with Janet and it was just it, it, you know it was something that I think I, what I did notice is that she's such a unique artist in the way that she has loved and um, nourished and, and championed for her dancers and her team that I just I remember being on stage going I don't think another artist could do this because they use dancers get rid of them next group comes in like there's no real connection and janet when she says like this is my family it truly is and i could see it and feel it that night on stage and you got like two mentions because you got the first mention and then as she was kind of wrapping things up she like looked at you specifically again and kind of said a few other <laughs> things so it's like yeah it's like that that a-team connection that i always talk about between you and janet was like you could just kind of see it in those the, that extra moment that she gave you so um yeah i can we're, only imagine i know the fans are obviously ecstatic to have you be with her again <laughs> so we're still waiting for that new music video that you're going to choreograph for her <laughs> <laughs> yes i keep getting lots of love from the fans and it's always appreciated uh i wanted to ask you too now that you've had time to reflect on that specific Hollywood Bowl experience which you didn't think was happening because actually in our interview five years ago you had actually said I hope I get to dance with her again before we're in rocking chairs and so, <laughs> so I, I laughed out loud I when probably I, said wheelchair yeah probably that too <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah now that you've had you know a couple of years to re reflect on it because it's actually going to be two years and not too long that that since that performance happened um, and now that it's the 30th anniversary of Rhythm Nation where does the song and the album sit with you now uh, because of that experience from two years ago? Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to put a, I don't know how to put words on that. Um, 
I think it was, it's almost like it's given it a new life and a new appreciation. Um, but regardless, like it, that song, like hearing it will always take me back to the original time, my first time with her, the first time working on, on such a cool project that the, the feeling that you got when you were work, working on it, you knew you were creating something special. You knew you were part of something special, but you weren't going to be able to see it, you know, until like now when you can have a bird's eye view and go, wow, like we knew it was going to be special. And it was, and it, it was for so many, you know, the, the message and the, the style of the, of the choreography that Anthony did and everything was so new and crisp and, you know, on that cutting edge. And, and so when I hear that song, I literally just, I feel proud. I feel really proud to be, to have been part of such an amazing project. Hanging out with us on the show is award-winning choreographer Tina Landon. You can follow her on Instagram at I am Tina Landon. Tina, when Janet released Rhythm Nation back in 1989, I'm sure there was a hope, and I think she's even mentioned this before, that she did feel or, or hope that eventually the world would kind of get its act together and that a lot of these issues that she spoke of at the time would be resolved or worked through. But here we are 30 years later, and these problems are still happening, happening and are seemingly worse because of the political climate that's going on. And I would say the uh, current president of the United States not helping matters uh, so right. yeah so where like is is Rhythm Nation more relevant than ever yeah and that's that's what's crazy I mean uh, you know it, it, it to me it fits in a category now with so many songs like you know Marvin Gaye's song um, comes to mind I can't remember the name right the second but there there's there's so many classic songs that are writing about the times, you know, of the world and what's going on. And, and Rhythm Nation definitely could be re-released today and still be relevant because sadly, you know, um, but at the same time, it's like, it's such a, a positive message that I don't know. It still gives me hope when I hear songs like that and, I think about the message, you know, on one hand, yeah, we can look at, at the world and go, wow, I can't believe she wrote this however many years ago, 30 years ago to be exact, and and nothing in our world has changed. And yet the song still brings me hope, you know, that that there are like-minded people. There are people who believe in in no color lines and no racism and love for all. And I just... You know, I'm thankful for that song, and I I just feel like we should just keep playing it today over and over and over again, and maybe people will, I don't know, listen for once. I don't know. I just, it's, sorry, I just went off the left because I'm just very frustrated with, with our the the way of the world right now. When we spoke on the 25th anniversary of Rhythm Nation in 2014, Janet was still on hiatus at the time. Since then, she's come back with an album. Uh, she had a baby. She's done a ton of concerts in the States, in Canada, and other parts of the world. Uh, she seems more popular than ever in a way. And you had said... Uh, that back in 2014 that the world needed Janet to come back. Has it unfolded the way you thought it would, the way she's made her return? Yeah, actually it has. Like I just, you know, I don't speak to Janet all the time, but I just, from watching her, her latest performances and, and kind of seeing this resurgent that that's happening for her, I just see 
kind of um, like a rebirth with her personally and professionally. I just feel like whatever was, was, holding her captive what you know i'm speaking more uh what am i trying to say fill my words in kelly I yeah give my words but you know like when something whether it's emotional physical whatever it's like it's something has broken free i think with her okay and and i think that the 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 fans feel it i think the the world feels it and you know I, i'll say this but I, i've said this from, from the beginning that janet has some of the best fans in the world because they have been so loyal and so loving. And, and that also goes along with the message that Janet has given to her fans and to the world. It's like, she always comes from a place of love, no matter what she's doing. She's, she's a very gracious person. And I think that shows in her music and in her life. And I just think there was a rough moment. And I think that that she's come through that and come up for air and, and now, you know, kind of being able to be in a place to receive all the, the glory that's been given to her and, and the fans that have stood by her so loyally going, yes, like, yes, our girl's back and, and we're going to stay here. We're going to support and we're going to, we're going to spread her love and her music. And yeah. Sorry. I'm just all over the place this morning. No, that's fine. That's good. And I'm glad <laughs> Sorry, you brought it. <laughs> I'm with me. I'm I'm, I'm with you. Right. I'm with you. And I actually have a couple of follow up questions just based off, off of what you said. And and I guess the first one would be with regards to, like you said, um, she just seems in a, in a better place. And I don't think that before she was in a bad place necessarily, except for probably, you know, that Super Bowl situation that she went through and all that. But um, right. But the part where like I've noticed as a fan and I mean, you are. Uh, you know, someone who's worked with her for years and then and friends with her on a personal level. So you would be able to speak to this better than than any of us. But as a fan, I can say over the last little while that when you see clips of her on stage now versus let's even say uh, back, you know, during uh, the Velvet Rope tour or the All For You tour, where I think she was in such... Um, business mode for lack of a better word like she just she was on a mission she had that project to complete she was trying to give everything she could to the fans and and i think on some level she she had a, a high level of, of wanting to achieve and now i feel like not that she doesn't want to achieve anything anymore because she's still doing that clearly but i feel like she's in a better place to uh like you said receive it and 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 even look back mm-hmm. a little but not not dwell on the past but be like wow that was those were really special times right right um you're, you're talking about when you're saying special times, you're, you're talking about like all of her accomplishments, like, like looking back now, cause now we're, we're specifically talking about rhythm nation, but yeah, like even just with right. this, the, you know, being able to celebrate 30 years, like you can almost see it in her eyes and her cheeks. Like she's like taking it in. Like you can see that she's mm-hmm. seeing it. And like, and even just, like I said, watching this morning, that rhythm nation performance from two years ago, when you guys were all together at the Hollywood bowl, like you could see, like, I think that was almost the beginning of it, but the beginning stages of her being able to look back with pride and, and uh, reflection. Oh, absolutely. I feel the same way. You know, I think as artists, sometimes you, you just, you get so focused on the end result or kind of like the daily grind, Yeah. you know, and, and people would ask me all the time, like, oh, weren't you freaked out when, you know, Janet asked you to do this or when you did the Velvet Row project or when you were, and, and really, yeah, you get freaked out if you try to do the whole thing in your brain as one lump project. But when you take it, bit by bit and 
you're just, you're grinding and grinding and grinding. It's like, okay, that one's done. Okay. This is done. Okay. We make that date. Okay. We did that show. We got on the plane. We did this. It's, you don't always get the chance to reflect. And, and that's kind of what I meant earlier, not just from uh, a dancer perspective, but perspective, but just how many artists can do that? You know, how many, like, with today's music, and I hate to say it because it just makes me sound old, but there's a lot of music out there at, that are going to be one-hit wonders. We'll never hear them again. They're fad. It's fad music. It's it's fun and it's danceable and it's it's cute for the for the moment, but it's not long-lasting. And you can just hear it and feel it. And that's because the work that Janet has done hasn't just been by the seat of her pants. You know. She's thought about it. She's worked hard towards it and she's cultivated a career. And I love the fact that she's in a position in her life where she's in such amazing shape and that she's not only continuing to do the work she started, but that she can revel in it a little bit and she deserves to like really enjoy it. And I think, you know, I think that also comes with age and experience that you do get to kind of put on another set of glasses and go, yeah, I get to actually enjoy what I'm doing. I don't have to just grind, grind, grind and think about the next project before this project is done. And I'm really happy for her because I think it shows in her spirit that she's really being able to take in the work that she's done and, and be so blessed to continue to be able to still do it. What's your thoughts on this um, next question that I have for you in the fact that she keeps adding concert dates, right? Like she had done the State of the World tour and then we thought that things were over for a bit, but then she went and started doing some festivals and now she's added another 10 dates to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Rhythm Nation. Like she just keeps adding dates, which, you know, for all of us fans, we are beyond <laughs> thrilled. And I'm just wondering again, uh, is it because you think now she's getting to enjoy these dates more? Like where she's just enjoying every single concert and being in front of every single fan that comes out to see her? You know, I, again, I'm guessing because these aren't questions that I've ever spoken to her about. But I also think that, you know, her life is different now. She does have a child. And, and all my friends who have children, um, I, I see a change in them because it's not always just about you first. So maybe part of that is like, listen, I don't know if I want to take on, you know, a hundred shows, but let's do 20. Let's see how that goes. And then, wow, that was fun. Let's add 20 more. Let's see if, you know, what's going on with my life and my child that I can balance all this as opposed to putting her child on the back burner while she just goes out and does shows. You know what I mean? I think mm -hmm. it's become maybe a little bit of a balancing act and also the fact that yeah, I'm trusting me, when we got off stage at the Super Bowl, I think we all wanted to go, okay, where, where are we going next? we got this down now. Let's go on to the next one. Like, I think if she would have asked us to do three or four more shows, we all would have just jumped on it because it was so fun. And I think, you know, that that part, that's part of it too. It's like, yeah, if she's enjoying it. Yeah. Let's just keep adding shows. Why not? And do you think too, like you mentioned her having her son, uh, I feel like that all, almost is changing her too as an artist where like maybe there's some level of, because I, you know, I'll, I'll backtrack for a second. When we, uh, I talked to Nikki, Nikki Pattenberg after the Hollywood Bowl performance mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. she actually got emotional in our interview because that was the first time that her daughter had seen mama get up on stage and do that. 
and it was crazy and it was so sweet like i you know she she was super appreciative of janet like allowing her that opportunity and then she said it was just so special to have her kids see her in action uh do you think there's some level of that uh, i realize isa is still super small but there must be some level too where like she's got this renewed joy uh because now she has a has a child i mean i can only guess that yes and and i think you know when people are feeling inspired, no matter what it's from. Maybe it's your, you know, significant other. Maybe it's your child or someone in your family or a best friend or you you have people that are inspiring you and you it kind of gives you more of a reason just emotionally to like, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing because I want to keep this feeling going. It's, it's so joyful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, how old is... How old is Ethan now he's he's gonna I th- he's gonna be three I believe in the new year that sounds right right so I think and I don't know I mean I again I would just be guessing but I just think that yeah ch- children definitely change you and and change your perspective change your heart change all of that so I'm sure she's just is more inspired just by the love of having him okay. And I did want to bring you back for a second to uh, a question that I asked you on the 25th anniversary. And I want to see if you give me the same answer <laughs> five, <laughs> five years later. Uh, Am I look- going to fall through like a, a door <laughs> trap if I get it wrong? No, no. I think this is just for fun because I just want to see if, if, if your mind has changed at all in the last five years. Uh, okay. What is your favorite song off Rhythm Nation? Oh, gosh. Because you said at the time um, that it was like, I'll actually, no, you answer. I'm not giving you hints. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think it was the knowledge. There you go. That's it. You got it. Yeah. 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 And you also That's said at the time you so were cool. angry that you weren't in the video part of the song. I was so mad. Like, you know, and every tour has that. And, you know, the boys, the boys used to be off stage doing lonely because on the side of the stage every single night during the Velvet Rope because they weren't in that number and they wanted to be so badly. And I was like, no, it's for the girls. <laughs> so I do understand their pain because, yeah, I wanted to be in the knowledge. It just was the coolest song to me. It still is a cool song. It was just different and vibey and and strong and powerful. And so, yeah, I, was, I wanted to be in that. Okay. <laughs> And uh, before I let you go, I, I did want to ask, too, when you were back at the Hollywood Bowl performance and, and um, you know, you kind of were dancing in that in the, the section where it was you and the original OGs from Rhythm Nation, Anthony Thomas and Travis. Um, like, what was that like for you just being with those guys again? Oh, my God. It was so amazing. It really was because it's just if you're a dancer who has been on stage with other dancers where you just, you physically and emotionally connect with them on stage. It's the only way I can explain it. It would be as if we all just had like a, I don't know, like if you strung a piece of wire that had a magnetic field to it and you strung it through all of us, there's just something about um, dancing together because you just you literally feel like you're kind of all on the same wave you're all moving at the same speed and you're all taking in all the intricacies at the same time so you're you're actually sharing an experience on stage that is like no other and 
And it doesn't come with just dancing in a room of, you know, three, 400 people. It, it comes from dancing with people that you know intimately, people that you work with so closely that you just know when you're slapping your, you know, that hand on your hip that they're doing it at the same time. And it's, 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 it really is a connection that's hard to explain, but it's so powerfully felt. And that's exactly what was happening on that stage. And if you watch, you'll see that I was smiling from ear to ear the whole time because I just literally could not contain myself. I was having such a good time. Definitely. And if she's going to do it again, she better do it while we can all move. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to mention, because I, I, in those dancer names I mentioned from the OGs, of course, Terry Bixler has to be in that. And he looked like he was having the best time, of too. Course. So that was obviously very special for, for all of us. And and I know that not all of the Rhythm Nation dancers, uh, the original OGs, were at that performance. Um, what what do you have to say to them? And I know that, uh, sadly, Art Palmer is no longer with us. So so do you have any thoughts on on what you'd say to the ones who couldn't be there and obviously are passing away? Oh, you know what? They were felt, you know, regardless. It's like, I can't think of the Rhythm Nation tour without thinking of Art or Karen, who's still alive and well. She just couldn't make it with us. And Lavelle also. And, you know, their spirits were still there with us on stage. Awesome. And so now the big question, uh, of course, people love Tina Lennon. Mm -hmm. Where are you and what can people catch you doing? Oh, dear Lord. I feel like I'm doing so many things all over the place. Um, two big things. My husband and I are, are opening up Loud Music Company here in Wilmington, North Carolina. We're very excited about that. It's going to be a uh, store that carries collector vintage um, instruments and also will have uh, guitar and piano and drum lessons for students that you know want to come and learn. I am currently learning how to play the drums. I am really bad, but <laughs> but I love it because I get to bang on things and make noise. And then I leave in a couple of days. I'll be in Abbotsford, Canada, of all places. And I'm going to be working on an ice skating show called Rock the Rink. So you guys should get your tickets and come check it out. Awesome. Well, I love you profusely. You know that already. So thank you. Um, and thank you for coming back and, and kind of discussing this five years later, because I know I asked you a ton of questions on the 25th, but I think I ans- asked you different ones this time around. So I think we're we're good. Yay. Yay. Uh, well, that- I'll be back for the the 30th of something else. That's right. You know you will be. I have your phone on speed (laughs) dial, so it's good. Uh, That's award-winning choreographer Tina Landon. Make sure you follow her on Instagram at I am Tina Landon. Like us on Facebook. Kelly Alexander Show. Very happy to welcome Canadian pop and EDM artist Delaney Jane to the Kelly Alexander Show. Delaney has been on fire the last several years releasing songs like Bad Habits and Easy Go. They've done extremely well in Canada, not to mention in different countries around the world. Delaney is dropping her debut album called Dirty Pretty Things and is here to tell us all about it. Delaney, I'm so excited to have you on the Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And uh, that was an epic intro. So thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here with you. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that because I work hard on my intros. So I'm glad you're happy with I it. I loved it. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> so I uh, I wanted to talk to you a bit about the fact that in all the articles that I've been reading about you in, in doing the research for our chat today, um, it just kept coming up over and over and over that you've basically become this go-to Canadian vocalist on the EDM scene. You know, you've collaborated with uh, Sean Frank and 
we're going to talk more about that in a bit. But then, you know, Grand Theft, yep. Adventure Club, Dubs, uh, and, and other people. It's not just Canadians. But uh, what has the ride been like and how did you get on it? How did these guys find out about you to become like this amazing Canadian EDM star? Wow, it's actually it's actually a pretty crazy story. I um, I moved to Toronto a couple years ago to uh, actually go to a private school for performing arts. Um, and I moved in next door to Sean Frank. And so while I'm, you know, going to school, these crazy 12 hour days, um, he, I, I think he just like heard me singing, you know, next door, like one, one day and he was looking for a, um, so, like an artist to write a top line with. So he called me over. He's like, Hey, like, I would love to try you out on this. We wrote this first song together. Next thing I know, he's calling me at school. I got signed and spinning records. And that very first song is like literally what jump started the rest of it all. So that was, uh, it was called In My Hands with Lush and Simon. And after we released that song, it was like, we just kept getting all these requests from other artists. So I was actually able to pay my way through private school and also like work these 12 hour days and then stay up in the studio till like two in the morning, um, making these records. And uh, it was a crazy experience, just one thing after the next. And next thing I know, Tiesto's sliding into my DMs on Instagram, like, hey, I would love to have you on a record. And I'm like, I'll never forget that day because I was at my mom's like 50th birthday party. I started bawling. And she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, Tiesto wants to do a track with me. <laughs> so, I mean, that was, the, that was kind of like my come up in the industry, um, in the EDM world, which is super fun. I got to tour oh my gosh, like all over Asia and America and so many places that I never even imagined I would see, um, mostly with Sean Frank, but also with uh, other artists. And yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride to say the least. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. And how do you find it being in the EDM world? Like, is it a small world? Like, does everybody kind of know each other? Yeah, totally. It's, it seems really vast when you first get into it but then you start playing these festivals and it's like every festival you go to is a reunion with all the DJs and artists and like even sometimes fans that are just like super fans that follow you around everywhere but yeah you realize that it, it actually is kind of small and um, and tight industry which is cool you know it's like I said like a reunion every time you see everybody how do you describe your sound I'm sure it's hard to talk about yourself but because of the fact that just everybody wants to work with you like I turn around and it's like there she is again featuring on something else and there she is again (laughs) and I just think it's I think it's awesome so I'm just wondering like how do you like why do you think your tone is what they want I think there's something that's um that's extremely recognizable about it at least what I've been told you know people hear my voice and they know it's me um, other people have told me that it like literally slices through the air. I don't know how that makes sense or if it makes sense. But for me, one of the most important things has always been making sure like you understand every single word I'm saying, um, and I, when I'm singing, but without like over articulating, cause we're not, we're not doing musical theater here. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I also just like write really honest and true songs. You know, I, I write from my heart. I, I write some super vulnerable stuff and I think people have always been drawn to that because it's, you know, I try to stay away from cliches. I I just write like really real stuff. You know, I think it's uh, things that everyone can relate to. 
I'm really glad you brought that up because I've been a fan of dance for a long time and I'm going back to when it was just called dance, not EDM, like people like Crystal Waters and CeCe Peniston and, you know, like Martha Wash and the list goes on. And I know, for example, like I love Crystal Waters and she writes like Gypsy Woman, her biggest hit arguably, you know, in in decades was written about a homeless woman. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, a lot of people don't take the dance world seriously. They think it's just, you know, wave your hands in the air like we don't care, but they don't realize that there's actual like songs. So do you feel like a responsibility almost like to keep the the lyrics high and and the fact that like i don't know it just seems like i hate when people say that edm is not deep music yeah it's um i think it's more of like a personal standard that i've set for myself because you know the industry itself is so saturated with with music and every day people are pumping out thousands and thousands of songs so how do you cut through the noise and like how do you make yourself heard when there's so much being put out and shared into the world. So for me, yeah, I think, you know, writing edgy things, being super honest, taking risks, um, it really sets yourself apart. And for me, that's just like what I expect of myself at this point. Now, off the top, you mentioned that you moved to Toronto several years ago. I'm just wondering where you're actually from. And do you find that wherever that is, that that plays a part uh, as to who you are as an artist today? Uh, um, well, so, okay, I'm originally from Waterloo, which is about an hour west of Toronto. Um, it's definitely a part of who I am, but I know that if I didn't get out of there, it would have, like, the small town life would have swallowed me whole. I'd probably be married with some kids by now. <laughs> you know, the white picket fence, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's definitely, like, I could have lived that life, but it wouldn't have been true to who I am and and my dream, so... Um, I consider myself super lucky that I, that I was bold enough to take the risk and just like really go for what I wanted. Um, but my, uh, yeah, where I came from, it, it totally defined me. You know, I didn't exactly have the, uh, most peaceful upbringing. Like my parents split up when I was really young and there's a lot of chaos in, in both sides of the houses, which, you know, we've definitely, um, resolved all the, all the family issues, but, um, it definitely shaped me into who I who I am, and it's what got me start writing in the first place. Talk to us a little bit about being in Toronto, because I know that you know it's obviously got a vibe to it, and and as the years have gone on, Toronto is now like a hot spot, obviously for Canadian musicians, but even music in general. Like I remember hearing an, an interview with uh, Ryan Tedder from One Republic, and he was giving out advice to people, you know, songwriters, like where they should go. And he said, "Well, look, you either move to L.A., you move to Nashville, you move to New York, or you move to Toronto." And I thought that was really amazing for an American artist, especially someone as big as himself, to mention Toronto. So talk to us a little bit about being in that hot spot, because you know a lot of people go there uh not only for pop music but also dance music is coming out of there and it's just um i think quite the vibe so explain what being in toronto full-time means to you uh well you know i think in part um all the artists that have come out of toronto the last couple years have really put the city on the map you know on a global scale so you've got jesse reyes you've got the weekend you've got drake uh lesia cara to name a few and and so it's become this um this place where people know that really solid art is coming out of. Um, but it's also, I mean, being a massive city, it's a hub for creatives. And, and I think if you live anywhere in the GTA and you're a creator and you want to do, um, you know, you want to do more, you want to connect and network with other like-minded people, like this is the place to go. You know, it's, it's not so easy as just jumping on a plane. Like I'm going to go move my entire life to LA as nice as that sounds sometimes. Um, so I think this is like, 
the best option for Canadians and just uh, in connecting with, with other people here, you know? Hanging out with us on, on the show is uh, recording artist Delaney Jane. You can check out her social media at Delaney.Jane on Instagram and then make sure to follow her on Spotify at Delaney Jane. Let's talk about your debut album, Dirty Pretty Thing. So first of all, you have to explain the title and was this album long in the making? Oh my, okay. So I'm going to answer your second question first. This album was about two and a half years in the making. So I would say it was a pretty long time coming. Um and I called it Dirty Pretty Things, not in, uh, not in so much a sexual way, but for me, Dirty Pretty Things are all the aspects of life. Um, you know, all the grit and the grime, all the things we go through. There's, there's just so many layers. And if there's anything I've learned over the years, it's that, you know, we're all very different humans. But at the end of the day, we're all kind of going through the same stuff. It's just different degrees and different shades. So for me, one of uh, the most important things has been, just writing super honest stories and kind of giving a voice to those who maybe don't feel like they have a voice or they feel like they're alone. And, and I know what it's like to feel that way. So for me, it was just really important to kind of talk about the nitty gritty stuff, maybe the stuff that makes people a little uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, I don't think art is supposed to make you feel comfortable. I think it's supposed to make you feel something. So yeah, that was uh that's a little bit of what it's all about. That's pretty cool. Now, tell us the emotion that went through your body, I think, is probably the, the right question, when you knew the album was done. Relief. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly, like, yes, excitement. But when, you, when you're working on a project for that long, you know, people, people don't necessarily um, understand what goes into it. So, yeah, it's fun. It's magical. There are these really special moments where you get to sit back and and hear the songs come to life, but there's a lot of tension in the studio. There are a lot of opinions and there are a lot, there's a lot of passion. So all of that mixed together with, with a couple different people and it can get pretty stressful. So I'm, I'm really lucky to have such an amazing team that to know how to um, navigate around my uh, perfectionism and sometimes OCD tendencies when it comes to finishing my music. But um, I would say at the end of it all, relief and now excitement as we're as we're getting really close to dropping it. That's pretty cool. Now, here's something for you. Is this album everything you hoped it would be? Honestly, I would say, yeah, there's uh, there's just so much I put into it. There's it's probably some of the most emotional and heart wrenching songs I've ever written, but also some of the most fun and just lively songs I've ever written. So I think it's it's just such a broad spectrum of emotions that I've put into 13 songs. And I think it really encapsulates kind of who I am as an artist, but also as a person. And I mean, I'm sharing literal pages of my diary. So, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking, but like I said, I think um, in being so open and honest with the world, you know, then it allows other people to connect to me on a deeper level. It's really important to me. Now, do you have label support on this? Or are you doing this on your own? I'm independent, baby. Way to go. I, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fully independent. It's been amazing that we've actually um, been able to kind of run uh, this whole project so far. Uh, I have a AWOL is my distribution company, so they've been giving a lot of great support. Um, but it's, yeah, for me, it was really important to always maintain creative control, not have someone you know telling me what I can put out when I can put it out because I've just heard so many horror stories from close friends and strangers alike about 
you know, kind of losing control of their, their vision and their dream because they, uh, they may be signed to a label. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with what's the decision we made and it's going extremely well so far. So really happy. I'm super proud of you because that takes like some balls to like decide you're going uh, without a label, especially on an album. So I want to ask you that too. Like how hard of a decision was it for you to put out an album? Because again, as a, as a ra- radio announcer in the pop genre, I know that a lot of um, artists these days, just it's not financially viable to put out an album, especially in the EDM pop world. Like they just keep releasing single mm-hmm. after single and then maybe put those all together as an EP. So why did Delaney Jane do an album? For me, it was important um, to put out this a body of work. You know, I've I've been dropping singles for the last year and a bit. Um, I have dropped a couple singles off the album already, so there will be quite a few new ones, but also um, some that have been heard before. But yeah, I just I don't know. I guess I'm old school in the way that I appreciate having a body of work. You know, I remember when I was younger and I used to buy CDs and I would memorize every single word from the first track to the last track and everything in between. And it's also, you know, the way we distribute and hear music is just has changed. You know, all these streaming platforms has made everything so accessible. And, uh, and I think, you know, in again, cutting through all the noise, you kind of have to be bold and take risks. So that's what we're doing. That's awesome. Now, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your relationship with Sean Frank, because it seems that you have, you know, continued to work together over the years, obviously. And it just seems like when I look from afar, it looks like you're each kind of helping each other rise to the top. Yeah, it's, it's been such a um, organic development of our relationship like what started off as just two friends making music turn into best friends touring the world together and uh and now you know we are we have kind of focused on our own separate projects but he has produced all of my music um even if I you know start a song with someone else in LA in a session like I always finish it with him he just gets me on um on every level I was gonna say like on a musical level but no like he gets me on every level and probably knows more about me than anyone in the whole world, you know? So it's, it's just special having that person that I can be so open and vulnerable with and create art with. And I think, um, we'll always, we'll always work together. And I know he's working on some other projects, but he's, he's getting me in the studio to write some songs for him now. So, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a continuing thing forever. Are you going to be touring the new album? Like, are you going to head out across Canada? Absolutely. Uh, we've got a bunch of dates coming in for next spring. Uh, once I have those solidified, hopefully I'll be able to send those over to you. But yeah, we're, we're locking in a bunch of shows for next year. I want to, you know, hit all the major markets in the States and uh, would love to hop on a, uh, even like a really cool opener tour with someone else or maybe like a co-headlining tour. But yeah, there's lots of uh, cool festival opportunities next summer, and I'm really, really excited to get playing all this new stuff that nobody's heard yet. Now, I have to tell you, in our short time chatting together, I feel like I have, have found a kindred type A spirit. So I'm just wondering, <laughs> I feel like you, you probably have a lot of specific goals that you want to accomplish over the next, like, I don't know, year. Do you have things that Delaney Jane wants to get done? Ooh, you know, what? it's it's funny because, like, I'm sure some people would say, like, I want a Grammy. I want this. I want that. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a little simpler in that I really just, I really just am happy to be doing what I love for a living. And the fact that I don't have to, you know, like go work a day job, the fact that I can solely focus on what I love, that's what I wake up and feel grateful for every day. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely have, 
have big ideas and dreams for what I want to do production wise. Like I'm talking like I want to have full choreographed dance routines. Um, I want to have some crazy production. Yeah. Winning a Grammy would be awesome. But to be honest, I think like anything that comes my way now is just another blessing on top of this life that I'm already super grateful for. That's really cool. And I did want to ask you too, because again, I'm so proud of you for being, you know, this amazing artist that's come out of like Canada, like especially in the EDM scene, because I, I know we have really good EDM artists, but I just feel like a lot of vocalists, we don't know about them from Canada. And so I just kind of want to know what's your, like, like, do you kind of wear Canada on your sleeve a little bit when you are touring overseas? Like, how proud are you of what you're doing coming from Ontario? Oh, totally. I wear Canada on my sleeve, whether I'm touring or whether I'm just like, going on a vacation you know we've we've obviously um built like a really solid reputation for ourselves as far as you know just the kind of people we are which i'm super proud of but you know in an artistic level there's so much um amazing art and music coming out of canada that that i think we're really starting to get recognition for so to be within that category is uh is pretty incredible Awesome. And last question before I let you go. Uh, do you have people on your bucket list that you want to work with? Like, is there, I know you've already like got the Tiesto thing going on and obviously you and Sean Frank have something magical happening, but is there someone out there that you're like, I need to work with this person? Oh my gosh. Oh, like how much time do you have? Let's see. <laughs> 21 pilots would love to work with them. Trent Reznor. He's my, one of my all time favorite producers in the whole world. Uh, oof. And like Drake, come on. There we go. That, that collab would be epic. <laughs> Let's go. And now he just lives like down the street from you, right? Because his mansion's almost done or it is done down. Uh... I know. <laughs> We're pretty much neighbors. Like, come on. I got a studio in the back. Let's go. <laughs> uh, Delaney, it has been a joy. Thank you so much for spending time with us on the program. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. And thank you for supporting my music. I love you guys. That is Canadian recording artist Delaney Jane. Again, check out her social media at Delaney.Jane on Instagram. And of course, follow her on Spotify at Delaney Jane. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Delaney Jane, and I'm hanging out on a Kelly Alexander show. Joining us on the show is Mark LaBelle, lead singer of Los Angeles-based rock band Dirty Honey. Dirty Honey is on fire, catching the attention of bands like Guns N' Roses, The Who, and Slash, all of whom they have opened up for on tour. Dirty Honey has also become the first unsigned band to top the Billboard Mainstream Rock Songs chart, and their career continues to explode. Mark, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, I've read that you have college degrees in broadcasting, corporate communications and marketing. So, you know, you could be sitting in a fancy office with a white collar job right now, but you put everything like that on hold and then, you know, lived out of your car for a year in Los Angeles to pursue music. Why did you put yourself through that? Like what was calling you to sort of give it this huge, massive push? I mean, it's just, it, it all stems from, from passion and what you want to do with your life. And ultimately I, I didn't want to do any of the other stuff. Um, that, that I, you know, went to school for. Um, I mean, those are pretty vague degrees anyway. It's not like I went to school to be a doctor. Um, you know, corporate communications, I think a lot of people get a degree in that they don't really know what they want to do with their life. Mm -hmm. and, and it kind of keeps it vague to go out and do a, a myriad of things. But, um, yeah, I sort of discovered, rediscovered music, um, you know, fortunately at that time. And I, uh, moved out to LA with, with a dollar in my pocket and a dream and it's sort of starting to work out thankfully 
That's awesome. Now, being from Montreal, uh, we're a big hockey town, of course, and I know that you grew up around hockey and were considering that at one point. Uh, are, is, is hockey still an important part of your of your existence? And who's your favorite professional team? Yeah, uh, it's still a huge part of my life. I mean, I still play like several times a week when we're home. Um, and, you know, come to think of it, we just went, John and I, when we were in Detroit, we went to the the Bruins uh, Wings game. We've see Nashville play on the road. Justin and I went to Amelie Arena to see the Penguins play at Tampa. But yeah, the Penguins are my team and uh, always have been since I was a little kid. I was a big fan of uh, Ken Reagan and Tom Barrasso and goal there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still an avid fan of the league. I'll, I'll go see a game in whatever city we're in, obviously. Um, we're actually on our way to Seattle and I'm excited uh, next year for that team to start popping up all over the country. That's awesome. Now, you and your fellow bandmates and Dirty Honey definitely have have, uh, you know, something magical going on with your music and playing together. Do you think that the four of you coming together was like destiny, kismet, whatever you want to call it? Because you guys really have such a such a vibe going on. Um, I, I don't know. You know, it took we, we kind of it was more a surgical approach to the, the struggle was really to find people that wanted to be in a band in L.A. There's so many like distractions and like there's so many artists that, um, you know, need musicians. So people that move to LA tend to become sidemen rather than band members, you know, with sidemen have like a, a weekly paycheck, you know, playing for whoever, Christina Aguilera, and, uh, Ariana Grande, whoever, um, you know, and, and really the, the challenge was just finding people that wanted to be in a band and play original music and get in a van and go touring and, take a risk you know with their life so um i'm glad we found the guy certainly i don't i don't know if it was destiny i think it was more just finding uh people that were also passionate about rock and roll can you explain the importance to us of bands like aerosmith and guns and roses with regards to you and your band because i'm assuming that they are a huge influence yeah i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't be doing this if they you know never happened um obviously like Aerosmith Guns, ACDC, Zeppelin, they're all huge influences on my musical taste and my life. Um, you know, but for sure I, I would not be doing any of this had they not, uh, led the way. Can you talk to us about what it's like to be the front man of a band, uh, that's exploding? Like, do you feel the pressure or are you just fully sort of enjoying the ride? I mean, yeah, certainly there's, there's, there's pressure to continue, you know, writing good music and, you know, to go out and do live shows. And, um, you know, that those sort of, certainly the music is in our hands, but you know, the, the shows thing, booking shows and all that stuff, that's sort of, uh, in the hands of our agent and our manager. But, um, you know, I think really it's just go out there and kill it every night and, you know, introduce people to your music and hopefully they, they walk away a new fan. And that certainly seems to be happening. Obviously you're, you know, it's been going extremely well, but, um, I think we're all sort of in, in the same position where we're just enjoying ourselves and, you know, having fun. And I think ultimately, you know, I, I sort of live my life that way, right? If, if I'm not having fun, why would I be doing something? Um, it might be hard work. It might be challenging at times. Uh, you might not want to do it, but ultimately when you step out on a stage, if, if you're not having a good time with your friends playing music that you, you wrote and love, you know, you, you probably shouldn't be doing it in the first place. So, Has it been a calculated decision on behalf of the band to not sign with a major label? Cause I'm sure there's been tons of offers. 
now at this point we're, we're pretty insulated from the label sort of conversations. I think our manager sort of takes care of, you know, those offers and those inquiries. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, we certainly don't have any interest now in, in signing with somebody. I think all the, the really hard work in, in terms of that initial push to cut through, you know, all the noise out there um, has already been done. So when we look at like what a label could really do for us, it's, it's kind of, you know, we don't really know what the answer is at this point. But in terms of international stuff, I think that's where they could have some value. But um, certainly here in North America, I don't really see us doing anything in the short term. So what's your stance on social media for you guys as a band? Like, do you each sort of handle one of the social platforms? Like, is it important for you to be in touch with your audience that way? Because I know, you know, it wasn't that long ago where um, people couldn't reach out directly to their favorite artists, but now people can and can respond back. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously it's super important. Um, you know, the people we want to appeal to and are, are you know, 18 to 30 years old or whatever and even younger like you know we have little kids every day sending us guitar videos um, on Instagram Twitter Facebook and everything and, you know we're all sort of linked in to all those accounts and everybody sort of checks messages and you know stays active um, and certainly when you have six hour drives and stuff in a van it's a, a, an easy time killer to just go on there and see what's happening but uh, yeah it's it's obviously immensely important. There's a lot of like connections that have happened along the way. Some some gigs have even happened like through social media. So it's it's interesting that it never, you know, back bands that we used to love and, and still love didn't have it. You know, and now it's like this super important thing that just sort of came out of nowhere. So it's it's kind of diluted the the entertainment market a little bit because there's so many ways to you know showcase your stuff. There's not only is there Instagram and YouTube and Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon, there's there's still all the late night TV shows and everything. So, you know, how you figure out which ones are important, you know, that's beyond my pay grade. But, you know, certainly, we you know, the importance of social media is a huge, huge element of our, our success. Hanging out with us on the show is Mark LaBelle, lead singer of rock band Dirty Honey. Learn more about them on their website. Grab all their social media handles, dirtyhoney.com. Mark, talk to us about, I guess, the fact that, you know, you have some pretty cool guys in your corner that are digging what you guys are doing, like including Slash. So what does that mean to you to have someone who's had such success with many different bands uh, realizing that you guys are onto something? Yeah, he's uh, obviously like, he's a huge influence for all of us and the project he's been in pretty much all awesome like he, he and sort of Chris Cornell are the two people I look to that sort of did a lot of things with a lot of different other artists and none of them like fell flat really you know it's, it's pretty remarkable um, and you know he he said nothing but nice things you know to, to me personally and the guys in the band and you know to have his support I mean he's literally one of the biggest rock stars on the planet means you know, the world to me and, and to everybody. Um, but, you know, there's other people like Miles Kennedy who's been very vocal about the band being, you know, a savior of rock and roll. And we're very grateful to him about that. And, um, you know, just the other day, like Tom Hamilton tweeted out about us from, from Aerosmith. And it's, it's pretty crazy to, to see your heroes even knowing who you are, let alone saying nice things about you. 
have you guys been able to take in some of this stuff? Like, because I, I'm sure you guys are, you know, like things like we talked about are, are just exploding and I'm sure your schedule's swamped and packed and you've got a lot going on, but have you been able to kind of take moments and, and realize this is happening? <clears throat> yeah, it happens to me more like after shows, you know, sometimes we'll drive like two or three hours to the next city, you know, wherever you're gonna sleep at night and you know there's a lot of late nights just like looking out the window reflecting on you know what we've accomplished in our relatively young career and it's like we're super grateful that people even care about what we're doing you know let alone the people that we admire um it's it's pretty remarkable so far so we're just trying to continue to enjoy it and and i'm sure we're gonna have a month off uh at some point i think in the summertime and be able to look back on some pictures and some videos get a chance to really reflect on it. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, being on the road because I know you know back in the day there was uh, lots of talk of like how bands got up to no good uh, after shows and all that kind of stuff and I think now as we've progressed further in in the planet's life we kind of know that it's important for musicians to sleep and to take care of themselves to work out all that kind of stuff being in a rock mm -hmm. band is that something that you care about because I know you have to take care of your voice our first tour was with Red Sun Rising and Goodbye June, and we, we had some like five in a row on that tour with grueling drives in between. And, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not gonna be any good. And, you know, to your point again about social media, like if I'm up there singing awful, uh, you know, that's certainly not something I want to live on the internet uh, for the rest of my life. So, you know, yeah, I, I try to take pretty good care of myself, but that's not to say, uh, we don't have a good time. We certainly like to drink and, and party. And, you know, I, I tell the story all the time when like John is out in Dallas partying you know, in, in the midst of, you know, dozens of tornadoes touching down all around us in, uh, in Texas uh, one night when we had a 5 a.m. flight. So we definitely find time to party. And I think it's more surgical about picking your spots, knowing you have a day off, um, you know, the night you want to go out and, uh, you know, you can, you can pick your spots and, and be pretty good. It's a, I mean, you want to have a good time. That's why you got into rock and roll. So uh, if, if you're not doing that, then you're doing something wrong. What's your thoughts on people sort of saying over the last couple of years that rock has been in a bit of a slump? Obviously, I know there's been a lot of, uh, I think everything's cyclical. So I think, you know, people sort of jump on that bandwagon. But yeah, do you agree. think there's a bit of like an edge that's been lost and that's coming back now? Like, what's your take on the genre that you guys are in? Yeah, I mean... You know, I don't, I don't know how you feel about the music that's sort of been being made the last 20 years or so, but I, I haven't really thought it's been all that interesting, specifically in the rock genre. I mean, there's been a ton of good stuff that, you know, even pop and country, like I love artists like Chris Stapleton and Sturgill Simpson um, as well. And like, I think what, what Billie Eilish is doing is pretty cool and uh, kind of cutting edge, but, and, and her brother is a genius actually. Um, producer but uh you know and when it comes to rock and roll it's like not been that interesting i think the most interesting thing that i can remember is being like the black keys or jerry Clark jr's first album and then going back even further like american indian by green day was like totally mind-blowing to me um when i was like a really little kid but uh you know other than that there hasn't been all that much that i really gravitated to i kind of stuck to the guns and roses the black crows Aerosmith, and zeppelin um, they, they filled most of my playlists uh, growing up. So, but yeah, I think um, you know there's there's some other bands out there doing some sort of blues space rock and roll that that is bringing back the performance element of rock and roll that's been lost. It, I think 
Pro Tools made it a little too easy for artists to perfect themselves. And that's not good for rock and roll. You know, that's cool for pop and stuff. But um, certainly the artists that, that I grew up loving weren't perfect. And, you know, had they had Pro Tools, they might not have had the same career that, that they did because, you know, the albums I grew up loving were, were flawed. So, um, yeah, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that that trend is changing. So. Talk to us about fashion because I've seen a lot of your press photos and you have a really, like a really great sense of fashion, which I think actually helps like probably in your I? lead singer role. So uh, how important is My it for you? My to... might disagree with oh, you. Oh, really? Uh... <laughs> I think your, your your stuff is cool. I love it, especially the hats. So, so uh, yeah, how is that important to you? Like, how do you make decisions about what you're going to wear on stage? You know what? It's, it's pretty funny. Like the, the hat place that I go to is right down the road from my apartment in LA. And uh, it's so I, I like, go buy it all the time I'm like God, I need to get that or that and there's always like a dozen things in the store that I can wear at any moment but uh, yeah I mean I just I just fell in love with um, certain designers and, and really artists you know I, I see them as um, in the fashion world and I just sort of gravitated to, to people like John Romanos and Kay and the Wise Hatters also in LA and Gunnar Fox and um, you know I just just grabbed things that I liked and I, I hope they sort of go together. I don't know if they do. There's there's a guy that makes great band t-shirts in LA um, called Maidborn that I really love. And, uh, you know, they, they pretty much, those three or four, you know, designers are pretty much all I ever wear. So um, it makes it easy it, so long as they keep making good stuff. That's cool. And I have to ask you about this because I got my motorcycle license last year and I love it. And so I hear oh, that good. yeah, I hear that you're a big motorcycle guy. So I have to ask you, what's it like for you being out on the road and what's your dream bike? Uh, well, I own them both, honestly. Um, did you get a bike yet or no? Uh, yeah, I have a Yamaha V-Star 650. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny that you just uh, started riding. It's a little cold up there, though. Oh, yeah. Right now it's, riding, it's in bed uh, for the winter. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, you know, it's a huge part of my life, honestly. Like, I'll be honest, that and, and playing hockey are kind of two, like, mental um, sort of freedoms. They're, they're, like, the two activities I have that sort of free your mind um, in, in my off time. And it's nice to just shut your brain off and go for a ride or, or go play hockey for an hour and a half with the boys and, you know, try and, try and score some goals. But, um, yeah, anytime we have off time, I'm going off you know, on a moto trip. I'm going to do one uh, with my father. Actually, he's coming out to California when the, uh, when the tour ends, we're going to go right up to the Redwoods and I'll be on my dream bike, which is uh, the BMW 1200 uh, GS. And that's, that's sitting in the garage right now. And I'll be taking that up, you know, maybe like a thousand miles up North and turn around and come home with him. And, um, you know, it'll be good. We like to, you like to go for a ride and see the world that way. And as you know, or, or you will soon know, it's the best way to travel. Um, I was a big, I'm actually reading Neil Peart's book right now um, about his motorcycle journeys with Rush. And um, I'm really enjoying it. And it's a good way to clear my mind when we're sitting in the back of the van to read that. a fellow musician and motorcyclist book. But um, yeah, it's like, I, I've, been going to Switzerland and Italy and Croatia for a long time, like just going riding with buddies. It's a great way to release some stress and just see the world. I have to ask you, I've read that you guys did come to Montreal to play Heavy Montreal. I'm just wondering, did you have a chance to sort of explore Montreal at all? And and are you looking forward to coming back? Because I know you guys will be here in the spring. 
yeah, we're coming back. Um, we didn't get much time that trip, but you know, uh, I've been probably a dozen times. I grew up not too far from Montreal. So, uh, that's, it's obviously a good little, my first actual, like my first experience ever going to an NHL game was, uh, seeing a Habs, Habs game playing the uh, Sabres, um, many years ago. So, uh, yeah, my dad and I would, we would shoot up there for games and, you know, I would play hockey up there against a team called Dollard, uh, growing up and I've, I've seen it quite a bit. Um, but it's, it's probably, uh, my favorite Canadian town so far, just because it's so different than anywhere else in North America. Um, you know, it's got its own culture and obviously its own language. And I sort of like places that are a little different, you know, that's cool. But yeah. We'll be getting back up there and spending some more time. And we'll be, uh, what is it called? Schwartz's deli. We'll be hitting Schwartz's deli. Yeah, the, that's good. And you have to go to, uh, La Banquise for some poutine. We absolutely will. And, uh, <laughs> you know what? Happy Montreal is such a great festival. That, like, yeah, that, that was definitely so far a shining light in the, uh, the festival circuit. Um, the food was great. The festival grounds were awesome. They got some great talent out at, at that show. And, you know, Quebec likes rock and roll. So That's perfect. Uh, thank you so much for this, Mark. It's been so great to have you on the show. And I'm so excited for where your band is headed. Like, we wish you all the best of luck. Thank you. And yeah, we'll be seeing you soon. I think we're going to be there in April, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, April 27th, you'll be here and I'm, I'm going to be there. So I can't wait to see it. Cool. Well, we look forward to it. Awesome. Mark, thank you so much for this. Have a great rest of your day. All right. Thanks, Scott. That's Mark LaBelle, lead singer of rock band Dirty Honey. Learn more about them at DirtyHoney.com. The Kelly Alexander Show. As always, thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week. We very much appreciate your time. And a shout out to our guests, Tina Landon, Delaney Jane, and Mark LaBelle of Dirty Honey. My thanks as well to our producer, Andrew Sabino, for doing such a great job producing the show. And don't forget that you can listen to us on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. We'd also love for you to grab all of our social media handles, and you can do that by jumping onto our website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have an amazing week. You and I'll chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.